Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast is presented by Bones Coffee, the official presenting sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast. Nick, now we've had the coffee, all right? Before, we, we lied. We lied. We didn't have the coffee. We thought it was good. Now we've had it. It's delicious as hell. But tell the people why they should be ordering Bones Coffee. I'm going to keep this short because I, you all know I'm a coffee nerd. Uh, let me put it to you like this. It's smooth and delicious. Yeah. And flavorful. Like you can, one of those three often falls apart when we talk, when you talk about coffee. Folks, my style is I grind beans the moment of, got the hot water going, French press. Mike's got one now because I refuse to let him live that Keurig life anymore. Although the Keurig version of Bones is legit. It's amazing. It's they, they translate really well. But freshly ground coffee, what Bones is doing with their flavors and their single origin coffees are amazing. And their shipping is fantastic. It gets there quickly. But most importantly, folks, it's great coffee at a great price, but the price gets a little better. Why is that, Mike? That's right. Because if you go to BonesCoffee.com right now, and they've been featured everywhere from Forbes, Women's Health to Hello Giggles, they have all of this fantastic coffee, 12-ounce bags, sample packs, single serve, K-Cups like Nick mentioned. I offered, I ordered, excuse me, the Cinnabon, Sin, S-I-N-N, so a clever play on words there. And I'm telling you, this coffee in the K-Cup machine smells delicious and it tastes good. I am not BSing you when I say this. You go to BonesCoffee.com right now. You order whatever you want. They got gears. They got mugs, apparel, tote bags, hats, in addition to fantastic coffee like Nick just mentioned. And then at checkout, little promo code box, type in, can we please talk? All one word. You're going to get 15% off your first order just like that. Head to BonesCoffee.com right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. 
On the program today, the latest headlines, making news, everything that's happening in the Russia-Ukraine situation, the latest on all of that. Nick and I will break that down. Plus, the Kim Potter sentencing that just recently happened in the Dante Wright case. Nick and I will give our takes on that. And later on in the program, the fantastic Kim Whaley. She's a legal analyst across the television sphere. You can check her out on CNN, CBS News, BBC News. And she has a new book coming out this week. It's called How to Think Like a Lawyer and Why. Uh, It's a fantastic book. We pre-ordered it on Amazon, Nick and I. And Kim joined us to not only take us inside the book, but help break down some legal happenings around the country. More on that later on in the program. First, I say hello to the talented Mr. Zaveri, uh, (laughs) a play on the movie. Nick, what's going on, buddy? We're in a Raider shirt for people that are not watching us on YouTube. Um, it's it's off-season time, baby. No, it is off-season time. We're, we're good. Actually, fun fact about our show recently, it actually got played uh, during a work meeting. Uh, one, we were oh, having, interesting. Uh, yeah, we were having an all-hands meeting, and um, you know, one of our colleagues was playing a clip of, a, it's supposed to be of another podcast, um, just articulating a point about management practices and things like that. And the first thing we I heard was Sabrina's voice, and I think very quickly it was you or I with a follow-up. And as it's tailing off, the um, the person, this is my my friend friend and co- colleague Patrice, you know, caught herself. But it, it was funny in the chat; people had noticed what show this was in reference to, um, and so everyone had a good chuckle. But yeah, I was like, that sounds like Sabrina Rodriguez I'm hearing right now. So uh, no, but things are good, man. Uh, good weather out here. Just getting some more time outside, and life is good. How are you doing in uh, the FLA? Yeah, it's good, man. I mean, if one day it's 90 and, and I'm sweating and then the next day, you know, it's 51 and I, I don't know what to do myself because once I moved back down here, I got rid of all my winter stuff. So um, and that's not really winter, 50 degrees. But anyway, um, you know, I want to stay on the uh, everybody on your job kind of like listens to the show. I don't have the same at my job. Like I, I know everyone is aware of the program. And you know this because you and I have talked about this. I have some speaking engagements coming up and everything. Look at this. Well, hold on. I look, it's not. I'm not. I plug the show like in the bio. It says absolutely. Yeah. You no know, host of this podcast. And um, it, it's funny. Maybe one or two people from my job have been like, yeah, you know, I listened to this episode like blah, 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 blah. But like, I don't get it as much. In, in mm-hmm. current job as I used to get it. Maybe it's because I used to see people more often at the other place. So, um, but that's awesome. So shout out to everybody at Educate who who listens to us, tunes in, email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com? Speaking of which, if you have some critiques of not only myself, but the talented Mr. Zaveri there, uh, we will we, we, we'll make it anonymous as best as we can. And we'll try to read back that criticism. Nick knows <laughs> we, we've tried to do that before. Uh, let's get into the latest news making headlines, Nick. You know, as of this taping right now, it could be old uh, by the time you listen to this episode, but there's roughly 75% of Russian conventional forces that have been deployed against the Ukraine, a U.S. official recently said. Um, everything that's been happening in the region between Russia and Ukraine, you know, we've discussed this previously with a, a foreign correspondent who's actually in Kiev right now, uh, Amy McKinnon, back at Foreign Policy. So you can check out that episode. But a lot of the stuff still holds true as 150,000 troops that Russia has deployed across the borders of Ukraine. Um, those are all, you know, Russian troops combined with separatist forces could be around maybe even 190,000. Some U.S. officials have reported um, there's been some military operations being done by Russia. Take a listen real quick uh, to President Biden's comments about this on Friday and then also Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and his latest comments. Over the last few days, we've seen reports of a major uptick in violations of the ceasefire, 
by Russian-backed fighters attempting to provoke Ukraine in the Donbas. For example, a shelling of a Ukrainian kindergarten yesterday, which Russia has falsely asserted was carried out by Ukraine. And we also uh, continue to see more and more disinformation being pushed out by to the Russian public, including Russian-backed separatists, claiming that Ukraine is planning to launch a massive offensive attack in the Donbas. Well, look, there is simply no evidence of these assertions, and it defies, defies basic logic to believe the Ukrainians would choose this moment with well over 150,000 troops arrayed on its borders to escalate a year-long conflict. As we meet today, the most immediate threat to peace and security is Russia's looming aggression against Ukraine. The stakes go far beyond Ukraine. This is a moment of peril for the lives and safety of millions of people. Over the past months, without provocation or justification, Russia has amassed more than 150,000 troops around Ukraine's borders, in Russia, Belarus, occupied Crimea. Russia says it's drawing down those forces. We do not see that happening on the ground. Our information indicates clearly that these forces, including ground troops, aircraft, ships, are preparing to launch an attack against Ukraine in the coming days. Okay, so what is at stake here? Um, everyone wants to understand this conflict a little bit better. I would highly recommend you check out this piece that Vox did uh, on the Russia-Ukraine uh, and the invasion border crisis and everything explained as to why um, this is becoming such a, a topic right now of high interest, not only for the folks that are in the NATO organization, the, the countries that are a part of the European Union, but also, you know, us and, and Russia specifically, because there's been some firm red lines uh, that really help explain what's at stake here. Um, a while back, Russia presented the U.S. with a list of demands, some of which were non-starters for the United States and its allies in NATO um, to, to meet those demands. And Putin also demanded that NATO stop its eastward expansion and deny membership to Ukraine. That's pretty much the center core right here, right? Uh, NATO was about to allow Ukraine to come in uh, to the organization, but because they were still in a conflict, NATO normally doesn't accept members who are still uh, under conflict as they were with Russia back in 2014. And so I'm, I'm not really totally sure as to why Ukraine is such a, a uh, hot button commodity for Russia. But the one thing that I do know is the global order part of this, right? If, you know, in 2014, 2015, when uh, Russia annexed Crimea and, and during the Obama administration and what happened there, it was seen as an act of war, right? Where they were going back into a country, which they are no longer, you know, as part of the original Soviet Union. Um, and once they went into that country and did that and, and, and annexed that part of, of the, the peninsula part of, of Ukraine, um, it was seen as an act of war in the eyes of the Western nations, right? And so at the core of it right now here is if Russia does do some type of military invasion into the Ukraine, it would be seen as an act of war against all of the countries that are aligned as far as the European Union, as far as the the, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization goes. Um, Nick, I, I summarized a little bit there. Um, you know, again, it's it's a topic for me that, you know, I'm not well versed in uh, foreign policy affairs and, and everything that happened 
post-Cold War with Russia and the breakup of the countries all around in the surrounding regions. So I'm curious to hear your take as to this conflict that has now been covered. It's all over the media cycles over the last two or three weeks. We've, we've devoted an episode and an interview to that and speaking to somebody that, that's more intelligently educated on what's happening in the region. But some of your assessments overall of what's been happening and, and why Putin is doing this now almost seven, eight years later after you know the, the annexation of Crimea. Yeah, I think I go back to the interview that you had done, um, you know, a couple of episodes ago, and you know the conversation about you know Russia's size of economy, you know, and and with a smaller economy than we often think. Again, I I really like the analogy of not analogy, but like the comparison to Spain. Like we don't really think of it that way, and we think of Spain as a, a far smaller country, maybe geographically so, but economically they're kind of on the same playing field. So when you when I think about that, I, I then think about. You know, with a smaller economy, is this a, is this a, a grab for resources? You know, what does Ukraine offer Russia as it relates to the potential saving or expansion of the Russian economy? You know, at the same time, it is fascinating to see. You know, according to Fox News, and you mentioned before about Fox News reporting. I'm I'm looking at the website now, just a report that's from um, just you know less than an hour ago. You know, they're, the Ukrainian military is reporting, you know, upwards of over 50 shellings, you know, by Russian backed forces, um, you know, from an occup- from occupied territory of Donbas. And at the same time, you know, over on the CNN side, what we're seeing is that, you know, their reporting is telling us that Russia now has, you know, as you mentioned, you know, 75% of its forces, this is an important word, postured against Ukraine. You know, folks, we're not in the midst of full on conflict yet. Well, we are, I guess, but in terms of like military usage, in terms of military resources and such, but we're damn near close. And, you know, listening to President Biden's comments, the Secretary of State, you know, as a country, we're in this interesting place where we are ourselves are doing a little bit of posturing. You know, we're very clear about our feelings about Russia doing this. But my question would then be, well, they are doing this. You know, we see continued troop deployment at the border. And at any minute now, either Putin is bluffing, and this is simply just to get everything up to the border to make it seem like an invasion with an eventual withdrawal, assuming that Russia gets what it wants from NATO, or Russia is about to take this to the next level and basically just break through the border and try to claim territory in Ukraine. In either case, Russia's exhibiting a bold move. And there's, and to your point, it's the question of why. It, it economically seems to be in Russia's favor, but going up against or at least um you know displeasing the european union obviously nato the united states and all western countries that oppose this move you know we saw quotes from um boris johnson of you know prime minister of, of uh, great britain and every everyone's on high alert now to see what russia's doing and you know you're the guest we had previously and talked about the fact that not since World War II have we are we talking about an invasion of this scale. And this is something, as you were saying, dates back to 2013, 2014, you know, with the initial inv- initial problems we're seeing right now. And it just comes back to you know how serious is this going to get beyond troop deployment? Are we talking about an invasion or is this posturing to get something from NATO? Yeah, I think the the one big takeaway that I have, and I like I said, I encourage people whatever outlet you're using now uh, to read up on this, like I mentioned, that Vox piece was phenomenal on everything explaining why why now and what happened previously, our episode with Amy McKinnon and Foreign Policy, by the way, does a great job covering a lot of this. They have a bunch of journalists that are on the ground, but at the core of it, again, 
R- Russian troops, almost 200,000 troops on the border of this, their, their neighbor uh, to the Southwest that they are looking to invade. And you have not seen that type of invasion at that scale, like Nick just mentioned, in decades. Okay. And, it, and that led to a world war. And I think that is the fear here amongst um, not only people from the United States, senior officials, everybody that's been covering this, that is really, you know, the $64,000 question. If this happens, now what's the response of everybody from the Western uh, nation's perspectives? Like, there needs to be a response. What does that look like? Does that involve U.S. troops going there? I know President Biden has recently said it is not in their interest to send troops to try to fight into a war. Obviously, we all know his feelings after the withdrawal from Afghanistan of getting U.S. troops out of the midst. But like I mentioned, disrupting the global order, right, is what's at, at the stake here. If if Putin is successful with this or does launch an invasion in the coming days. Um, more on that, you know, we'll continue to follow that story as it continues to break as best as we can, given the podcast format that we do on a weekly basis. But again, check out whatever news sources you're using. Like I mentioned, check out the what Nick just mentioned on Vox and also on Fox News. Fox News has done a really good job covering this. So shout out to them. I, I do want to give them a little bit of kudos there. Trey Yingst is, uh, is there, one of their, their correspondents over there on the ground. Clarissa Ward's in Ukraine as well for the CNN side. So check out all of their work about all of this. Uh, I wanted to get into another subject that you and I have been texting about when we heard this come down recently. The sentencing for Minneapolis police officer Kim Potter recently just came down. If you're not familiar with the case, the Dante Wright traffic stop uh, and what happened there. There was three officers that came out to to pull over Dante Wright's vehicle. Uh, a couple minutes go by, body cam footage showed that the officer went to grab the taser and yelled taser, but unfortunately pulled their pistol, shot Dante Wright fatally. Uh, he ended up dying hours later. And she was recently sentenced to two years in prison on Friday, far less than the standard of about seven years for manslaughter. Uh, I want you to take a listen to the way CBS, CBS's local affiliate in Minnesota covered the story, because there was a couple of interesting things that I heard there uh, uh, from sound bites from inside the courtroom. You get to hear Kim Potter's, uh, you know, she said her, her uh, statement before the judge rendered the sentencing and then hear a little bit from the judge as well. And it's eerily similar to what happened uh, to a neighbor to the uh, east, west, I forget on a map, uh, Wisconsin, and what happened in the Rittenhouse trial. But take a listen to this. Amelia, there were a lot of tears in that courtroom today from Kim Potter, Dante Wright's family members, and even Judge Regina Chu as she explained why she gave a lesser sentence than what state guidelines call for. Minutes before she learned of her two-year sentence, Kim Potter spoke directly to Dante Wright's mother, Katie. Katie, I understand a mother's love, and I am sorry I broke your heart. My heart is broken for all of you. Judge Regina Chu said most of the reasons to send someone to prison don't apply to the former Brooklyn Center police officer. State guidelines call for about seven years, but Chu said Potter's conduct during the deadly traffic stop was significantly less serious than the typical manslaughter case. A significant downward departure does not in any way diminish Dante Wright's life. His life mattered. As difficult as it may be, please try to empathize 
with Ms. Potter's situation. So you heard there, like they said, Judge Regina Chu, uh, <laughs> with her words there, we're going to get into that in a second, um, because I, <laughs> it's, it's tough to empathize because I've never pulled a gun on somebody. I'm not a police officer, so I've never pulled a gun on somebody during a routine traffic stop. So I don't have any of that stuff. So I can't empathize with that. I'm not sure if she knows what the word empathize means. But um, anyway, I don't want to get into that for a second. Let me let me give you some of the uh, the factual information around this case. Obviously, she was sentenced to 24 months in prison. 16 of those months will be served actually, you know, in the federal penitentiary system. And then the rest will be, uh, I believe, like at an outbound house or something like that. The prosecutors in the office of Keith Ellison, obviously, he's the Minnesota attorney general. They suggested that Judge Chu sentenced Ms. Potter to a prison term beyond the standard sentencing range of six to eight years. That was the new court filing that happened last week. Okay. So they wanted a, a, a range within the six to eight year range. You heard that in, in the piece as well. And then hearing that she gets a, a, 20, a 24 month sentence with only about a year and a half actually in, in federal prison um, is a little alarming. And we're going to get into why is that alarming? Um, Nick, I want to give a quick take on this because for me, um, when I heard the the verdict come down and then I saw, you know, what was trending on Twitter and the conversations happening around this, I want to say, you know, it, it's really tragic what happened to Dante, right? We can get into the policing aspect of this. If you watch the body cam footage, there's three police officers that roll up to a car with one 20 year old kid and his girlfriend in the car. Um, not, uh, you know, I've said this a bunch, uh, routine traffic stops. You know, why, why is three police officers showing up for a routine traffic stop? of a kid that doesn't have like, well, I'm missing it. You know, I've been pulled over before myself as well, just to actualities, generalities, and, you know, four police officers show up and it's just me, you know, but I'm not sure that we need four cops to stop little old me, but, you know, um, read into that however you want. But um, anyway, when I was watching the body cam footage, that was one thing that resonated with me of, three police officers, one on each side of the vehicle and, and obviously Kimberly Potter on the back. And then once they tried to open the door to get him out of the vehicle, to ask him to step out of the vehicle, that's when the incident ended up happening. Um, one of the other things, a big takeaway for me, uh, Regina Chu, the, the judge in this case, mentioning the Derek Chauvin case, um, th- that's a false equivalency for me. Okay, There's no need in the sentencing part of this and it was a question that we should have asked uh, Kim Whaley uh, when she came on the program. But um, one of the things that I found was pretty alarming was that she invoked another case that happened in another part of the state, because that's typically not done. Um, there's no need to reference something that happened where a cop was found guilty of murder and egregiously using force against somebody uh, for 10 minutes that we all saw the video of, whereas this was a little bit different. This was a traffic stop. She meant to grab something else and, you know, unfortunately used her, her, her gun and, and fired one or two shots. So it's to me, it was a very it was false equivalency other than, you know, one's a traffic stop and the person in a vehicle. The other one was a convenience store, you know, and a, and a fake twenty dollar bill and, and somebody being delayed and then a knee. And then I'm not sure why she invoked that into this. And then, you know, the judge broke down into tears in the courtroom. And we spoke about this before with the judge in Wisconsin um, over the Kyle Rittenhouse trial about, 
you know, preserving that defendant's right to remain innocent for however long that innocence is. But this woman had already been found guilty. So this is coming into sentencing. Why do you need to tell me to empathize with somebody who's been convicted already? But what am I empathizing with? I, I look, I get the situation. I sympathize with it. Um, you know, she made a mistake at work and that mistake tragically took someone's life. Totally get that. That doesn't mean that that absolves her of the standard that the attorney general's office and the state has put forth into law for people that make deadly mistakes. Nick, we have written it into a law in Minneapolis and in the Minnesota area. This should have been carried out again. I mean, two years and, and, you know, six months of it knocked off and she's serving it, you know, somewhere, you know, at home or something like that, or, or wherever, you know, the custody uh, reigns for that is, is a little alarming to me. Your, your initial thoughts when, when you heard some of this and, and, and the verdict come down uh, recently. To serve and protect. It's a, it's a, it's a serious responsibility. Um, Kim Parr failed there. So, for all the training I'd like to think that she had, um, for the experience that she's had on the force, uh, she she screwed up. Someone's dead because of it. Um, I don't know where there is empathy. The, the recognition that she simply made a mistake, um, her mistake is, res, is directly responsible for the death of a citizen. I don't understand where, where the need for tears come from. Uh, for Kim Potter to to cry and apologize to the mom, uh, it's too little, too late. Do your job better, and maybe we have another citizen in Minnesota who's not dead. Um, to the judge who is so emotionally ravaged by by this, um, perhaps being a judge is not for you. If it seems like you can't remove emotion from a cop failing to do their job, Mike, you call me. <laughs> playfully call me out for this and i'll bring the thing here again folks in isolation if i tell you that your job is a very high risk position and if you screw up someone can die two things come to mind one is yeah that's a pretty serious job you have we should recognize the importance of it um and mike and i certainly do on this program but the second part is when you screw up you need to be held accountable like anyone else does to lessen the sentence because you consider mitigating factors such, a, such as, you know, Potter's um, not having a track record you know, for doing this. It doesn't matter. In this event, she screwed up and someone's dead. She needs to be held accountable to it. Lightening the sentence because we think she's a better citizen. Who cares? She's an officer of the law and she failed. She made a mistake. She should have done the time to reduce it down to two years. I have to call in. So I have to call in the place of bias here. And I do have to wonder, and if I was curious enough, to start looking at the sentences from this judge. And where else has she been giving the lighter sentence to? And conversely, where is she giving the harsher sentences to? Because this doesn't strike me as a situation where this is the first time that this judge is letting emotions play a role in her sentencing. And if that's the case, then you are simply not an arbiter of justice and you have no business sitting in front of a courtroom handing out decisions if you can't separate the human side to the legal side of this. Potter committed a crime. She needs to be in jail to lessen that sentence because you find that this is to be somehow simply about rehabilitation or whatever BS you want to hand over to this is to simply say that you looked at a white officer and thought she made a mistake. 
And I wonder seriously, if that officer had been black, are you willing to offer that same level of empathy? And perhaps she is. I'm not saying that right. the judges are racist. What I am saying is that she was way too sympathetic to someone who committed a huge screw up that's re- resolving. That's re- we have no. someone dead for this. Yeah. One dead because Kim Power can't tell the goddamn difference between a taser and a gun. Right. And by the way, the taser is yellow. The gun's black. Um, again, I'm not a cop. Don't write me any emails right now. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com about you don't understand. It's a hard job. I have tons of friends who are police officers. We all know people that are that are police. It is officers. a hard job. It is a hard sorry, job. So sorry to cut in, Mike. It is a hard job. Yeah. If you can't handle it, quit. Exactly. The hiding behind this whole like it, you wouldn't understand the profession or stuff like that. I, I, I do understand this. One thing's yellow. One thing's black. One thing. Uh, electrocute somebody and gives them a shock. And then the other one could actually murder them. So like, oh, oh, actually, you could die from the taser, too, depending upon if you have conditions. Listen, real quick, I want to give a factual information about this before I I offer something else on that. Uh, In 15 previous cases over the past two decades in which officers have confused their weapons, similar to what Kim Potter did in this, three were convicted of a crime. Okay, now in different states. So maybe it doesn't carry over you know, in terms of sentencing, it shouldn't because each state has its own thing. But um, the two officers who fired fatal shots, uh, there was one, a transit officer who killed Oscar Grant. If you remember this case back in Oakland, California in 2009, he was sentenced to two years in prison. Robert Bates uh, was a a volunteer sheriff's deputy over in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was sentenced to four years in prison after he shot and killed a man while meaning to fire his taser. So in one case, two years, in another case, four years. I'm not sure of the race of of any of the police officers, but just to give you, you know, an example of what some other states have levied, you know, that, that was the one thing as I was reading through this and, you know, when my wife told me, hey, you know, uh, Kim Potter got sentenced and, you know, the, the officer that, that that shot and killed Dante Wright. And I heard about it and I said two months and I and I go, boy, I really don't know you know, Minnesota law in terms of like what the statute is for manslaughter, et cetera, et cetera, what the recommendation of the sentences were from the attorney generals. And then I start going down the rabbit hole of reading more about the case. And then, you know, one thing that you can't pick up on reading an article, unless you see the actual video is tone and infliction of somebody saying those words. And when I saw judge Regina Chu, and you heard the soundbite, but you hear how soft her voice got in tone, And then you watch her start actually crying for a defendant who is guilty of a crime of killing someone that what Nick just said right there, I could not say better. That is alarming. You should not be a judge if you cannot remove emotion from what you are actually presiding over. That's the whole point of this, right? Impartial. You're not supposed to cry at somebody who just committed murder, ma'am. You're not supposed to cry for that. I can't feel empathy for somebody who had a bad day at work, a bad day at her work, right? A bad day at my job is not, you know, a couple sports stats may be lost. A bad day at her job, you know, a 20-year-old kid and his whole life ahead of him is dead. So I cannot feel empathy for somebody and you giving them two years, 16 months in prison and the rest that they can serve at home. It, that, that, that I shouldn't feel any empathy for that person because they're going to be home you know, by the next time the Raiders are out of the playoffs, like that's not, you know, that's not fair. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like that whole, that was the big thing for me. Um, if you can hear it in Nick and I's voice, because it's, it's a little bit infuriating to see 
judges that are starting to give the benefit of the doubt. And I, I truly do hate, and you know, this Nick through text messages, I truly do hate playing the race card. Like for me, you want to play the race card when it's like insanely egregious, right? Kim Potter, you know, cop made a mistake, white lady. All right. Still going to jail for a couple of years. That's not, that's not the place to play it yet. Right. Uh, race card would, you know, Derek Chauvin leaning on a guy for 10 minutes on his neck, big black guy, like that race card. Right. But in this instance right here, right. Regina Chu, we've mentioned she's an Asian American woman, um, crying again on the sentencing of somebody convicted of killing a 20 year old unarmed person in a routine traffic stop in a routine traffic stop, not pulled over because cars stolen, guns, et cetera, like routine traffic stop leads to a murder. And you're asking me to empathize, <laughs> empathize with that person that you are granting them a lenient sentence. I, I'm sorry. I cannot empathize with that. Kim Potter made a deadly mistake. She should be in prison for a little bit longer. She is going to be going to jail, but um, I, I just thought that those are some things, uh, my takeaways on that, that was, it was so egregious that it's like, you, you hear that and, and then you see it play out in the courtroom when it was read. And it was like, well, what is wrong? What is going on with the judicial system up by the Great Lakes up there in the Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Minnesota area? Like what is going on? Yeah. You know, and actually I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought the other side of, um, whether race played a factor. You know, I, I look at this story and I'll be honest, I, I'm angry because this seems like a, a daily occurrence um, that a, a black person is treated far too harshly for a, a crime or in this case, a traffic stop. They receive, <laughs> I can't think of a simpler word. They are the recipients of the legal system or the American legal system far more harshly than their white counterparts. Um, and it's hard for me to ignore that. So as a result, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to separate whether the race of the officer played a role in the sympathy awarded to her from the judge. Uh, so I have to sit with that. And I may be I may be wrong. I, I hope I'm wrong. I want to give the judge the benefit of the doubt. Having said all that, I do stand by the fact that I don't understand why we if if the recommendation from prosecutors was seven years, I wonder why. Why withhold that? Why bring it down to two? Yeah, that's a far that's on the meter of like where you bring it down to. You would think 46 to 54 months, something like that in that range, if you are going to bring it down. Listen, and here's the thing, even if it's even if the even if the max was two years, it's not even the length of sentence that get, gets me. It is in it is in this case in relation to what it could be. And it does right. leave me with wondering why the reduction. But it really honestly is the sympathy here that a judge is it cries and shows emotion in a way that's saying that you are understanding or willing to forgive someone who made a mistake that's resulting in the death of a citizen. Had she been better trained, had she been a more competent officer, I don't think this happens. And that's what I, that's what the part that I think the family's angry with. It's the part I'm certainly angry with. It's the part that I think any person looking at this case wonders, how could you be so stupid yeah. to possibly get those two things mixed up? And and if this is if this is a, a lack of capacity for for Potter in terms of her skill set, then you have no business walking around with something that could kill someone in the form of a gun. 
Listen, if you don't remember what Dante Wright was pulled over for, he was pulled over for an expired registration tab and an air freshener that was hanging from his rear view mirror. And that led to three officers pulling him over. Um, yeah, my, my thoughts are with uh, both families, honestly, you know, because obviously Kim Potter's going to jail. I'm not sure of her status and if she's married with kids or whatnot, but, but really for Kim Wright, Dante Wright's mom, um, you know, I, I, as having two little ones, I don't know how I would feel to lose one at such an early age. So uh, our thoughts, you know, to everybody involved in that case, uh, when we come back as transitionable as I can, Nick, speaking of the legal system, the fantastic Kim Whaley will be joining us. She's the author of the new book, how to think like a lawyer and why I'm going to ask her about some headlines making news across the, uh, the legal community. And then the latest on her book. And that comes out this coming week. Kim Whaley, when we come back after the break. Angie's list is now Angie and caring for your home just got easier. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or a dream remodel, Angie makes it easy to see reviews, compare quotes and connect with top local pros who can get the job done right. Plus you can see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. No phone tag, just the work you need done at a time that works for you. Angie's got your to-do list covered from start to finish. Book your next home project today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, here to talk with us about her latest book that's coming out this Tuesday called How to Think Like a Lawyer and Why is former U.S. assistant attorney. She's a professor over at the Baltimore School of Law. She's an accomplished author, obviously, of several books. Uh, she's one of our favorites, and you can catch her across the television dial. And that is Kim Whaley. Kim, Mike, and Nick, thank you so much for hopping back on with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to chat again. It was fun yeah, last time. It was fun last time. Nick, uh, Nick loves to reference everything you said there because of the doom and gloom. We're going to get into some of that <laughs> in, in a bit. Um, it's worse now. Sorry to tell you. <laughs> oh, we're going to get into it. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to get into it. Wait, let's, let's go through the questions first on the book. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Kim, talk to us about the book. It comes out this Tuesday. What made you want to write it? Uh, interest of full disclosure. Uh, I got into a contest with my old girlfriend who ended up going to law school and trying to take the LSATs just to show her that I could be you, a lawyer one day. You brought so, an X into this? Yeah. So this book Damn. is made for me about thinking like a lawyer. I always feel like I'm up to date on the legalities of certain things in certain states. But what made you want to write this book? Well, you know what? It was it was uh, an unexpected third book that followed from the first two. And let me explain why. The first one was on the Constitution, and the goal was to bring constitutional literacy to regular people in a way that wasn't just describing things, right? To relating it to your regular everyday life. And once I finished that book, I realized after, you know, a decade and a half of teaching law that everything comes down to the ballot box. That's how that's how we hold people accountable. That's that is that's the ticket for speeding. That's the um, the boss firing you because you showed up late too many times. And and so I wrote that one as kind of a step two. And then and then we got to um, you know the the later part of the Trump years with two impeachments. And of course, since then it's been the big lie. It's the January insurrection. And I realized that what I've been doing all these years teaching law students is, is encouraging them to look for questions, not answers. Um, and we're in so polarized in terms of how we approach the world. It's, this is my team. 
this is the answer. This is my position. I'm going to dig in and, and I don't care what the facts are. I don't care what the sort of ethics of it are. This is my team and that's how I, I have my identity and that's how I find my strength. And looked around. I mean, there, there really is not any commercial book for the very unique skill, frankly, of, of thinking like a lawyer. So here it was, you know, it's expensive to hire lawyers. It's scary to hire lawyers. So this is, I, I outline a five-step way of approaching problems that I've honed for myself over the years. I have a unique way of teaching that people can just bring to their everyday lives, walk through all the five steps. And even without a law degree, you will have done the kind of thorough, careful, comprehensive analysis that people pay lawyers for. Now, you know, it doesn't talk about the law. There is actually, I should say, they talk about, it talks about cases to introduce my five-part method. But, but law school is more about teaching people, again, how to think differently in a way. You're, you're probing the questions. You're looking for the gray areas. You're, you're trying to find the counter arguments because if you don't, you're going to lose your case. And it's a very, very different way of approaching big issues than I think we are in, in both in our private lives oftentimes and in the broader community, in the broader public nationally. And also, I, you know, big problems are overwhelming for people. So, um, I mean, I, I just even as a lawyer, I get flooded sometimes. It's overwhelming. So this is a way in people's personal lives to, to bring some order to that chaos and, and get back to our common sense and our humanity as a community is my, is my goal. Kim, when you think about you know developing that legal mind, and you know, and one of the things that your book talks about is how does that how does that work for you in so many different spaces, you know, beyond the courtroom? Can you think of just a time recently, just personally or professionally, where without that sort of legal training, like your approach to something would have been vastly different? Like the prism with which you look at a particular issue looks very different had you not pursued a career in law. Yeah, I mean, great example comes to mind, which is a took my kids to Disney World a few months ago. And uh, I, you know, full disclosure, I, I'm not an adherent to the myth or the lie that, um, that President Biden is improperly in office and all that fraud. And because I, mean, I am a lawyer, 60 plus cases were thrown out because there's no evidence of that. So I just want to establish that. Um, but I got into an Uber with my kids on the way to the airport. It was probably a 45 minute drive. And the Uber driver uh, had a very different point of view and was on a rant the second we got in the car. And, um, and we had a long drive ahead of us. And I should, and by the end of the, by the end of the ride, he was inviting me down for scuba diving lessons and, you know, wanted me to make sure that, that I touched base, that I was safely back in my, at home, et cetera. Meaning he felt very connected. And my kids said, how did you do that, mom? And I'll tell you, at one point he even said, gosh, I, when I realized where you probably are politically, I almost pulled over and, and let you out of the car. I mean, it was, it was one of those situations. So how did I do it? Um, you know, uh, you, you find common ground, ask questions, started the conversation around shared values in your regular life. So this isn't something we do as lawyers, but, but you do have to think from every angle you have to you have to put yourself in the other person's shoes and one thing that we established was that you know politicians have their own motivations and they're not the same as they have for you and your family once we had gotten that established that we have we see something we have a common ground then we were able 
and was able to sort of talk about some of these other issues in a way that he felt less threatened. And I could try on parts of what he said that I felt comfortable with, that I was okay with. I mean, that's that's not exactly the five-part framework that I put in the in the book where you, you have a problem that you need to solve. But it is it is relevant in terms of um, again, looking for questions, not answers, not getting dug into a particular point of view because you believe it's right. And my own children said, wow, mom, that was kind of uncomfortable in the beginning. That how did you do that? So that so that that I don't think for sure I could do without a law degree um, and without having to teach, frankly, uh, in an era where the Constitution itself has become political. So, I mean, I was I grew up in Buffalo, New York, went to an all girls school um, early on in the Trump era again, because, you know, that's just where things really went off the deep end with the Constitution. I was invited to do the commencement speech. I was disinvited because parents complained and we're going to boycott the, the graduation because they said the, that my book on the Constitution was too political. So so, you know, that's where we are. So oh. so. How do you get around that? You can be outraged, you can you know, get reactive, we all have that. Or you can take a deep breath and start laying out foundational concepts, bite-sized pieces that people can deal with. That's what lawyers do. And that's the first step of the, of the five-step process I put in the book, break stuff down, break stuff down into smaller issues, and then go back to the big one. Kim, I appreciate you sharing that because I don't find you controversial at all. I don't know where they came up with that. Um, I do. I will say that um, when sharing the podcast with a family friend, the episode that you appeared on, um, the father now, interest of full disclosure, he watches Newsmax and I've told him to stop doing that. I'm a former Fox producer. I know what far right looks like. Um, and he was very, um, oh, I know Kim Whaley. Now she's too XYZ for me. And so he's like, I'm not going to listen to that. And I was like, what? Kim, is this the same Kim Whaley I'm talking about? But, but I want to get into, and I appreciate you sharing that, but I want, I want to get into, uh, I've, I've asked this of other authors that have been on here, Ellie, when his book came out about Bill Barr. And, you know, the bookstore right now is someplace, I have an Amazon, I mean, uh, Barnes and Nobles near me. And I take my young daughter there all the time. And I see these political aisles now where the books are, you know, kind of here are the conservative books and here are the liberal leaning books. Somebody walks into the Barnes and Noble and sees Kim Whaley's book. What is it that you want them to think about as to why they should purchase this book without even opening it up? I think it, it's a way to make make you smarter. And and when I say smarter, not in terms of cognition, but it's a way um, to empower people. So so. One way, and you have children, one way we as humans, and not a psychologist, but the one way we feel powerful is to be a member of a group, is to, is to associate with, I mean, for teenagers and middle schoolers, it's a clique. For adults, it's, it can be a sports team. Um, and these days, it's not just a political party. It's beyond Democrats and Republicans. It's, you know, do you believe that a pandemic that's killed nearly a million Americans is real or not? Are you okay with uh, wearing a mask in order to protect others? When when would you draw that line um, and say enough is enough? I mean, we're we are so polarized. The team mentality is is destroying not just us as a as a country, but 
It's having an impact on individual families and friendships and relationships. Um, so I would like people to see it's, it's a, it's a mechanism to get some, bring some order to the chaos. And, you know, I don't tell you how to do anything in the book. I just give you a framework to empower yourself to make, make your own decisions and, and have communication uh, around these difficult topics without paying a huge price. Um, and I just to say, I appreciate the feedback about, about uh, the person that was wrote me off as, um, as to sort of one way or the other, I, I get people mad at me from both sides of the political spectrum on Twitter. I get, you know, angry emails. Um, uh, some, some are quite uncomfortable. I get letters. Um, but I get them from both. I would say more from the right because I am clearly, uh, I'm clearly a person that adheres to the rule of law and the Republican party in this, in this moment is, is an authoritarian party. And that really worries me. Um, but but I get people mad at both on both sides of the spectrum, and in that mind, in my mind, I say, okay, then maybe I'm doing something right. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Kim, last time we had you on off off air, we had talked about um, our roles as parents. You know, Mike has two little girls, as do I. You've got some little ones as well. Um, when you think about just you know from the premise of this book, like what does a background? How does a background law support like help you as a parent? Yeah, well, one of the chapters is about, you know, actually the the, the ugly side of families, um, family life, which is, you know, divorce, child custody issues, um, how it helps me as a parent. So I just, I have a five part, I call it bycat. The, you know, the first one is break down the issues. The second one is identify values, right? Um, that That is, doesn't require a law degree. Um, we all have our value system. We don't necessarily articulate it affirmatively uh, to ourselves, let alone to our children, but I, I do with my kids. You know, I'll say, you know, integrity is really important. Um, you know, for example, if you, you know, if you stick to, to the, doing the right thing, um, you, you know, you may, may not come out ahead, but you can always know that you have a lighthouse in the darkness, for example. But how does it help with parenting? When you when you name you write those things down very affirmatively and clearly, and then you're engaging your child around something. And we all get triggered by our kids. They're exhausting. They're very smart and difficult. Uh, and it's a new frontier with every age. Um, if you if you're really clear about what matters to you as a parent, I think uh, you you can can get to decisions that maybe um, you wouldn't if you were just in a reactive mode. For example. Uh, so you have a, a teenager that wants to get a piercing. I think I talk about this in the book and, and, you know, listen, we didn't do that as kids. No, right. That's a reaction. But if you kind of sit back and say, okay, what's important to me, what are my, what are my values as a parent? And in law, by the way, you know, it's all value-based. Why do we ban murder? Not because it, it's the rule of the world, but because we value life. That's why we, we ban it. Right. Um, so you could say, listen, you know, I don't want them to have health care problems. I don't want an infection. Um, maybe there's a religious element to it, and that's important. I'm just making things up. Um, maybe it's allowing them to make some mistakes in a safe environment so that they can launch into independence. I mean, for me, launching them into independence is really important. You know, maybe it's allowing them some some level of autonomy. and I don't know, but if if you name all of those things, Right. And then you have it with your teenager. Um, you have it out with your teenager. I think it's um, 
at least in my experience, you can live with not not having it exactly the way you want it as the parent and feel like it's the right thing. That's the last part of the of my five part test. It's tolerating tolerating the fact that you're not going to win everything and and that's part of life and that's part of law. So so you know, you could do it for example with vaccines. Do you send your kid to school or masking? Do you not send your kid to school? Well, what are your you ident break it down into issues. There's a medical piece. There's the educational piece. There's a social piece for children. Um, and, and then step two, what are, what's your value system there? You know, and one of your value systems could be, listen, I just really don't like public schools dictating these important things. So you put that down. I mean, that might be one of your, your but as, but if you name the rest and then you argue, kind of identify the pros and cons, which is what lawyers do, you might say, well, you know, my kid is kind of an ex extrovert. It's been really difficult. Zoom is awful. So, you know, even though I really, it really irks me that this, 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 this uh, school is mandating this, but my values now that I've written them down, you know, it's not Fox News, it's not CNN, they're mine for my family. This is kind of for me and my kids, this is, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to fall on that sword and, and give this up because these other pieces are so important. So it's slowing it down, breaking it down and naming very specifically what's important to you and what facts then bear on it. So um, again, it's, it's a methodology. I call it with my students when I teach law, I call it a framework. It's a decision tree. It takes them weeks to understand it. it, it disabusing students of the idea that, that law like life is about outcomes and answers and shifting them to focus on questions is very, very, very difficult. Um, they, they really don't like it. They go kicking and screaming and that they're, I mean, some of them are willing to do it, but the point is their brains are so programmed for outcomes, so programmed for X or Y, black or white, blue or red, and then give some reason supporting your answer. Um, and I think that that leads to this polarized culture, frankly. I mean, it certainly doesn't help. And uh, Kim, speaking of thinking like a lawyer, uh, we want to ask you about some news making headlines. Um, so we've got a couple questions here on, on that front. The first one for me comes on the heels of what's happening with former President Donald Trump. There's two cases, one civil, one criminal, obviously the criminal one in Georgia, the civil one happening in New York. Where do you see some of this shaking out with former President Trump, specifically the civil suit? Now a judge recently ruled that he has to testify and some of the family members about the Trump uh, uh, the organization and, and some of their business practices. The criminal one is, in, I believe, still in the grand jury state or at least moving to the grand jury state. Where do you see some of this shaking out uh, in, in terms of former President Trump and, and the criminal and civil nature suits here? Well, I mean, and there's also actually a third or a second criminal investigation that's a parallel investigation in New York. It's not from the attorney general, which is the state law law enforcement official that's doing the civil side. It's the Manhattan DA. So that's happening. And then there's also, I think, you know, 17, 18, 19, all told um, investigations into Donald Trump um, that are still ongoing across, you know, having to do with, um, you know, how he ran the campaign to, you know, the, the inaugural committee, things like that. I mean, it just goes on and on. I do think the situation in Florida, I mean, excuse me, in Georgia recently, the prosecutor in Georgia made clear she was not going to, she's going to follow the facts. She was not going to not 
bring an indictment if just because this is a former president. That's a situation for, you know, for listeners just who might not have it at their fingertips where it's on it's on an audio tape that he asked Brad Raffensperger to find enough votes to to swing a, an election that had already been audited in favor of Joe Biden to him. So so that's pretty good evidence. She's I think looking, you know, under every rock and in every nook and cranny. Um, but that's not a difficult case, even on what the we know publicly. I'm going to say it, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk or even I'm not saying, saying there should be indictment, but this is not this is not threading a really fine needle. So there's that in New York. Um, you know, the Trump organization's already been indicted. So the question is, is it is Donald Trump and or his children going to be indicted? I read that decision um, just before the pot, actually, because I'm going to be on Don Lemon tonight about it, Mike. I read the decision out of New York, where essentially Donald Trump and his two kids, um, Ivanka and Don Jr., um, said, listen, we shouldn't have to be subpoenaed, period. And, you know, that judge was having none of it. And I can talk about legally um, what he said. And I think he was spot on across the board. This is another circumstance of throwing the spaghetti against the wall and seeing if anything stuck, nothing stuck, but the judge really got upset because he got, he got to the point where some of the arguments were, were, I don't know what the word he was, but beyond frivolous and, and maybe even misconduct. I, I, you know, after given that Mazars, their accounting firm has, has retracted 10 years of financial statements, suggesting that they were based on bad information and that bad information came presumably from the Trump family and or, you know, people within the Trump organization. I mean, Mazars has been on, been worked for the Trump family since Donald Trump's dad for decades. Um, you know, the walls are closing in on, on Donald Trump and he no longer can hide behind the protections and privileges of the presidency. Um, so, so, which will drop first? I don't know. It's impossible to read the tea leaves, but I think, you know, the world is, or America is closer to accountability for Donald Trump um, than ever before. And let me add one more thing that's obviously the, the, the elephant in the room, the January 6th committee, right? They're going to be holding public hearings reportedly in April. Jamie Raskin, um, House of Representatives from, member from, from uh, Maryland, who was a chief impeachment manager in the second impeachment. He's also on the January 6th committee. He said that it's going to bring the house down. That is, this is new information we're gonna hear as Americans. I have a suspicion, just a gut feeling, uh, that part of the reason that the Justice Department is holding back is because the January 6th committee is poised to educate the American people, right? Get people used to the notion that this is, there's a line that's been drawn here because there's a gut sense that, oh, you could never go after a former president. Um, so we just have to see, you know, uh, Teflon Don, I mean, any Teflon pan eventually it's, you know, wears out if you, if you beat it up too much. And uh, this might just be a straw too far. It's a great analogy. <laughs> it sounds like you're all telling me that that Trump crypto I bought, probably not a good idea. <laughs> or the app. Yeah. Did you that's, or that app? degree from Trump University. You know what, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's in the back. I mean, <laughs> not I, the way to go. You know, I mean, <laughs> and are you uh, a class action member on that one? Too? I, <laughs> You're not going to see I'm, a penny. I, I, I replied to the text. Are you right. 
<laughs> You're not going to see a penny. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Get to your question. Um, Come on. <laughs> you, you, Kim, you mentioned earlier about vaccines. You know, yeah. think of other headlines. You know, um, where are you thinking with the Supreme Court currently, um, most recently, you know, supporting the or standing behind the decision with the uh, University of Indiana? Um, what's your te- what's your sense as far as where the court may lean? I guess where I, what comes up for me is: Are we in any pos- position where you know, currently in any state, you know? almost all vaccines prior to COVID are usually asked up for children, especially in K-8 settings, K-12. Um, are we in a situation where the court may potentially make this into a state's matter? Uh, well, I mean, they did say that, you know, Joe Biden's vaccine mandate in the workplace was unlawful. Uh, I think that was a stretch from a legal standpoint. Um I, you know, that this gets to a bigger question, which is, and I've actually, I just filed a piece with the Atlantic today um, on this big bigger question. I mean, we talk about single party rule uh, in the state and federal legislatures as a problem, right? I mean, people that are, have their finger on this know that democracy is failing in the legislature due in part to the big lie. Um, but we already have it on the Supreme Court. Uh, I'm, this court, these, these, the five justices that are now controlling the court with now Chief Justice Roberts joining the progressives, joined the progressives on a on gerrymandering case this week. Um, and he's no fan of voting rights. This court is going to, you know, unilaterally rewrite the laws of this nation. And at least that's my concern. And, and the writing is completely on the wall. And when I say that, strike down acts of Congress, amend acts of Congress. They've already done that. Um, ignore procedural rules that require, I mean, not require, that respect lower court judgments, uh, wait to hear full briefing and argument on important issues, um, uh, protect the Constitution itself, right? SB8 in Texas. You know, you might you might be against abortion. That's fine. But, it, you know, the Constitution has been construed so far to protect it at 24 weeks. I mean, that's just the way it is. And the way we do things is you change the law. I mean, but the law is still the law. The court said, we're okay with certain unconstitutional laws being in place. Um, we're gonna see this court changed interpretations of the constitution um, you know, in ways that have massive effects on American life. And uh, they're doing it under the guise of somehow being conservative jurists that just color between the lines. It's really a problem because there's no accountability for Supreme Court justices. They can't be fired at the polls and they're ignoring Congress. So Congress can't can't legislate over them. I mean, this is a disaster. Now, as far as vaccines, uh, I do think they will respect likely respect states right state rights in that in that regard unless it conflicts with religion and by religion i mean primarily probably christianity um you know honestly there's no intellectually consistent principle either legally ethically um that i can discern from from the the you know the trajectory of these opinions other than ideology political ideology and that's catastrophic for america and i say this having you know i i know you know i i i have affinity personally um you know it's not like for 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 some of those on the court personally um but i think it's an abdication of their constitutional responsibilities and frankly unethical the what's going on there it's just really awful 
Yeah, with you know, in matters of abortion, we think recently about the situation in Texas. You know, basically you know, now, citizens are encouraged to dime out doctors, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, also, what we're seeing play out in Mississippi, Florida recently is starting to uh, institute a law as well. You know, with what you were saying earlier about where the court is starting to lean with those five justices, are we heading to a place where effectively Roe versus Wade is probably not going to make it out of 2022? Uh, there's no question it already has been killed in the state of Texas without actually killing it. That's what's just amazing to me, what this court did. This court allowed an unconstitutional law to go into effect and to stay into effect, even though it means forced pregnancies and deliveries for women. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that train has left the station. Now, there's some speculation that Chief Justice Roberts will get a deal to move the viability line from 24 weeks back to 15 weeks or something like that. Um, but but it's it's pretty evident that these justices, the new justices, um, Kavanaugh, I mean, Coney Barrett, um, certainly Alito is Alito's gotten even more radical uh, and I don't, I don't use that word lightly, very radical justice, Gorsuch radical, um, Thomas radical about this stuff. Um, they don't have any problem reversing Roe versus Wade. They, the last three were put on the court to reverse Roe versus Wade. Uh, and it's just to me as a law professor, as a lawyer, um, as someone who wrote this book about reason, thoughtful, coherent decision-making, they are violating the most basic, fundamental, first year, first week of law school type of things to twist the outcome in ways that are politically favorable to their party. Again, the way we have the law, the law is the law. If you don't like it, you gotta get it changed, but you're stuck complying with it. The law says 24 weeks for women. Texas is six weeks. The standard for getting emergency relief, you have to show that it's there's a law that it's violating, boom, Roe versus Wade. You have to show that it hurts. Somebody's gonna be hurt if you don't stop it. Pregnancy does actually take a toll on people, both economically, physically, psychologically, on so many levels. Three, they're in the public interest, it's better to just wait for the Mississippi case, right? And we had the bounty hunter law in Texas. Right, which you mentioned. So that's whether regardless of what your position is on abortion, that's just terrible policy that you need to stop until you figure out if it's okay. The court ignored that three-part standard, right, and and just allowed the law to stay take. I mean, this it just. And I teach my students: the Constitution is the boss of the bosses. That's the biggest law of the land. Well, not for this court if it comes to a, a constitutional right they don't care about. Then you take what happened with the gerrymandering case, right? So. Alabama, after the 2020 census, reconfigured its electoral districts. There are seven of them. So gerrymandering is where politicians get to carve up districts and they get to do it in these tortured ways to make sure they're concentrated in one party or another. They have seven districts. 27% of Alabamans are African-American. And of the seven, there's only one predominantly black district, the other five the other six are white. So there was a lawsuit filed under the Voting Rights Act. A three-judge panel conducted a thorough 
evidentiary and legal and um, investigation of this, two Trump appointees on the panel said, listen, this is unconstitutional. This is not unconstitutional. Excuse me. This violates the Voting Rights Act. You need to go back and, and, and do two black districts and five white districts, given the population of, of, um, of Alabama and the problems and the Voting Rights Act. On an emergency motion, emergency motion, okay, the Supreme Court reversed that lower court in a one paragraph decision, no full briefing, no argument, put the gerrymandered law back in place. Acknowledging it might violate the rights of African American people in Alabama. Here again, just like SBA. Okay, we might have, we have a unconstitutional, and when it comes to the gerrymandering thing, we might have a blatantly illegal law, possibly, it might be, but we're going to keep it going. I mean, that, this is not um, debating whether there should be substantive due process and we should have abortion. That was the old, this is, this is saying, this is a, a big, pardon my French, a big F you to the rule of law, a big F you to Congress, a big F you to voters, a big F you to the lower, the lower federal courts, a big F you to precedent, a big F you uh, to, to just ethics and, and inclusion and respect for humanity. I'm so, I, this is the sleeping giant folks. I mean, single party authoritarian rule is here and it's in the form of five people in robes on the United States Supreme Court. And for people who are conservative and think, well, that's fine because they're on my team. That's why I wrote this book. Guess what? When you peel back the, the onions and you start breaking the issues down, you're going to get hit, hit too. You're going to get, it's going to affect you and your family as well because you're taking your voice off the table. So when it comes to, when they come for you, it's too late. You know, this is, I don't know what can be done about it. I mean, what could be done about it? Unpacking the Supreme Court, but we have a filibuster and we have two members of the United States Senate and the Democratic Party that aren't willing to do anything. Kim, I remember you saying that last time about, you know, this is pressing, this is pressing. Um, it's what I appreciate about you to the people in Buffalo, New York, who wrote you that letter. Okay. You can email us at canwepleasetalkpodcast at gmail.com if you want references and realize why Kim <laughs> Whaley should have spoken that day. Cause I'll happily respond back to you. I love diving in the muck, Kim, when people email us or tweet to us, but you can check out Kim's book. It comes out this Tuesday, how to think like a lawyer and why a common sense guide to everyday dilemmas. You can check her out across the news landscape, check out her books. I'm telling you they're, they're educational and informative. I don't know what those people are talking about in Buffalo. Kim, uh, uh, you've got two pre-orders coming this way. Uh, we're excited to read the book and thank you for coming on the pod. You are always welcome here. And thank you for continuing to bang the drum, you know, because for Nick and I, who are in different spaces, education and, and in sports, you know, a, a legal mind like yours uh, is invaluable and your students are really lucky to have you. Well, thank you so much. I always enjoy chatting with you. The time flies by and appreciate uh, you um, sharing the book with your listeners. I, I think it should come in handy for a few people. So thank you for having me. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to geico.com, get a quote, 
and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. All right. Our thank yous there to Kim Whaley. Like I mentioned, her book comes out tomorrow. If you're listening to us on this Monday, uh, if you're not, it comes out February 22nd. Uh, how to think like a lawyer and why her third book in that not really an installment series, but uh, kind of, you know, similarly titled, fashioned. Uh, she gave you the details there as to why she's writing books like this. Um, her first two, obviously, one on the Constitution, one on why voting matters. Very important books. <clears throat> I mentioned it, you know, off air to her and on air. Um, that group in Buffalo that, you know, wrote to say, hey, we want her canceled or, you know, or at least not speaking at this engagement. Boy, I mean, if you find Kim Whaley controversial, you, you need to look internally because that is not somebody that I find controversial. Um, you know, we, we adore her here on the show. That's obvious, but also listen to what comes out of her mouth, right? Listen to the experiences that she's had. She's worked as a former U.S. assistant attorney. Uh, obviously, she teaches the young minds of tomorrow that are trying to enter the law profession over at the University of Baltimore School of Law. So I'm, I'm befuddled by that. I, 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 that was like my one big takeaway like that I was not expecting kind of out of left field uh, about, you know, not only Kim's story, but what has happened to her recently in these last few years that have become polarizing politically. Um, there's no secret about that. We've all had the, the our own stories internally. Um, Nick, what were some of your your takeaways from not only some of the stuff that we discussed with Kim Herb helping us break down some of the headlines, but her, her book that comes out this week? Yeah, I I think they're probably just bitter Buffalo fans, I guess. Um, <laughs> I think what's I, I think what's maybe a little frightening is the strong word here, but I'll go with it, is you know, are they put off by Kim because of where she appears? Mike, you've you've talked about this with me often that you know we can look at headlines, right? If we use that same example of, well, this person appeared on CNN and other programs, so by her simple appearance i already think i know her politics right is an over is a radically radical oversimplification and is that the situation because i don't know how much these folks have read about her work now to that anyway but well, well you know, before you, i, yeah. I want to add on that i mean kim's been on cnn cbs news bloomberg news bbc news what do i talk about all the, and what do we talk about all the time diversifying your news sources right so I'm, I'm, I'm mystified by, by that. It, and by the way, if the Buffalo folks are listening to us, email us at canwepleasetalkpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to know why you guys did not want Kim to speak. But go ahead, Nick. I let you get, I lost your train of thought there. No, no, not at all. So, yeah, but that connects to the second point for me is that, you know, one of the things that Kim brought up, and she brought this up in her first appearance of what we sometimes, you know, laughingly refer to as doom and gloom, but even even in this go round, what she's observing with the Supreme Court, specifically the role it's playing by its political leanings. You know, it's more pronounced now with a five to four majority that these five justices are really letting their politics play out more so than even the interpretation of law. And at least that's where Kim's coming from. And I obviously trust her because she's a, a legal expert. Yeah. Six three, by the way. Thank you. And and that's where she that's where she's landing on this, is that the court is basically undoing the the rule the rule of congress and I, i'm kind of like just simplifying her words here but uh and that's that's a very powerful thing to consider on the book side 
that yeah, that definitely feels apolitical. You know, the ability to think like a lawyer and where that can show up for you in all these different spaces. She gave a great story of, you know, with an Uber driver from you know point of contact being very politically opposed to the end of a friendship, of an understanding coming to place, and the framework that Kim articulates to us. Um, you know, talks about that, like finding common ground before you start to dig into who's right, who's wrong, and all that stuff. And I, I think we need to hear more of that. You know, fundamentally, as Americans, there are some core values that I believe that there are some similarities that we can have, but we have to, these days, it feels like, dig deeper to find what those common values are. And I think Kim, that, that sort of seems to be the part of Kim's book, along with an actionable process to, to be able to do that through a, a legal lens. Yeah. No, that story on the Uber driver was great. One thing I would add for everybody there to pile on to Nick's point, uh, it has to be, it has, the relationship has to start at a meeting of, hey, that's a common fact. Sky's blue, sun's yellow. So if you, if you, if the disagreement is over that, I would argue then kick rocks person in the uh, friendship side. So that's just me. But anyway, um, we thank each and every one of you for listening to us. If you want to check out the video portion of this YouTube uh, you know by now can we please talk podcast enter it in there in the search bar and you can check out not only kim's recent appearance but other people that have appeared on the program or audio podcast platforms you know by now search us out leave us a five-star review and comment pretty please you want to be a patreon subscriber to get some bonus material from all of the recent episodes that we have done just go to patreon same thing type in can we please talk you can find us there or click on the link in our show notes page thank you again to Acast, our hosting platform as always i am mike leon And I'm Nick Severi. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.